So Alex, why don't you go ahead and give an introduction of yourself and then we're gonna just keep it rolling from that point. Excellent. So my name is Alex Bush. I am a online coach. I work with competitors. I work with general health and um, all the in-between, I suppose. I've had an opportunity to work for the last nine years with individuals all across the the world and uh, provide all kinds of different results and had a lot of great journey or a lot of great experiences along the way. I, I have the fantastic opportunity to work with my wife and own our company called Physique Development. And Physique Development has been something that we have been building over the last nine years and have had the fortune to have a staff of coaches alongside us to to work with other individuals and work one-on-one -on -one with, with clients as well. Um, yeah, I would say that that's the uh, the base introduction. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure I can give greater detail and and other aspects, but that's the beginning of it, I suppose. Yeah, I always I always love to hear people's like you know quick summaries of their background, what they do, who they are, because yeah. some people will like go into this five minute tangent about <laughs> their, their accomplishments, and other people are like, yeah, I kind of coach people sometimes. Not a big <laughs> deal, uh, but no, I definitely want to talk a little bit about uh, physique about. Physique development, um, before we move on, uh, kind of give a history of when you yeah. started it, how you started it, and like how you guys have grown the company over the last, you said, nine years. Yeah. So it started while I was in college and I was playing college baseball. And at the time, I was seeing the writing on the wall that college baseball was the end of the road for me. There was no baseball past the, the time that I was in college. So that being the case, I, I realized that I needed to pivot and because I had no actual plan. I, my entire goal growing up was to continue just to play baseball, play college baseball, play professional baseball. That was my mindset. And I had a realization my sophomore year of college of like, dude, this is not your life. This, there's, there's no way that this continues for you. And I was infatuated with uh, bodybuilding and just uh, training and all those different factors at that time. It was probably the only thing that I was also interested in that was outside of sports. And it's funny because they're very intertwined, obviously. And it was the only degree work that I was also interested in when I was going into college. But when we were looking at universities, my best scholarship for baseball, the college that I was at, did not offer exercise science as a degree. And so I opted at that time to not venture into exercise science because I was like, I prioritize baseball more than anything. And so I was going into business or no, I think it was communications. I, I was studying communications for those first two years. And so as I'm coming to this realization, I realized that it is time for me to make a pivot. And so I decided that my sophomore year of baseball was the last season that I was going to play and made a pivot to move back home and go to University of Southern Indiana and study exercise science. Basically restarting college as I head into my third year, which is always a fantastic bet on yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, Thank you. Uh, yeah, bank account loves it. Student loans uh, definitely skyrocket a little bit with with basically restarting. And so in that, my parents said, okay, you have to cover the expense of what your scholarship was. And so with that being the situation, I got resourceful. And at the time, I had, we had started a YouTube channel. At, the, at that moment, it was called Campus Physique because it was myself and Austin Current. We had started a YouTube channel just to showcase our training while we were also in college and those different factors. People really enjoyed it. It was really fun for us. We found a lot of um, 
entertainment and, and those different factors doing silly challenges and showing our training at 11 o'clock at night and all kinds of silly stuff. And so we had generated a little bit of an audience from YouTube. And so I started reaching out to people on Facebook that I recognized I would type in their name from their YouTube and then find them on, on Facebook and ask them if I could write them a training program. I was hoping to charge like $20, but really if they tried to talk me down, which a lot of people did, they're like, what about 10? I'm like, all right, bro, I'll write you a training program for $10, whatever, as long as I can make some money here, I don't care. So I was selling these $20 programs and just reaching out to every person that subscribed to us on YouTube and then really reaching out to anyone that I was friends with on Facebook. And that was kind of the start of, of me working with individuals. I had a little bit of experience at that time. The training programs I was writing were probably worth $20. So it was a fair rate for what, what I was writing at that moment. And so that was kind of how I made up the difference. I wrote all these training programs. And what's hilarious is that I did not even copy and paste from these. I was like, I have to make this person a brand new one because what if that person shares that program and then they think that they oh have the same God. one? That's so funny you say this because that's exactly <laughs> how my brain works for like, for, I don't know, like three or four years. I was like, I just start everything from scratch, but continue. continue. Yes. And so I'm, I'm writing, I'm spending way too much time writing these programs, but I was obsessed with it and I loved it. And I was so passionate. It was awesome. I couldn't believe people were paying me to do it, even though it was measly $10, $20, whatever it was. And so that was the the start of things for us. And uh, from there, got got certified, got into the exercise uh, science program at USI, uh, and and continued on with the YouTube channel. And we started to take one on one clients from there. Um, and so that was as I was going through college. A very interesting time in my life is that I was taking 16 to 18 credit hours at, at the university. I was working 40 hours a week at the vitamin shop, and then I am also. Um, taking on clients. I probably had like 10 to 15 clients. It kind of fluxed in that window for some time um, during that period of my life. For about two years, that was kind of my go-to. It was a crazy time in my life. There was a lot of moments of me falling asleep at my desk, falling asleep on the floor because I'm my in my tiny apartment in college, I have my bedroom, nothing on the walls. I have a bed, I have a desk, and then I have a, a TV stand. And that's literally all I've got in there. And there was many a times where I was so tired that I was not making my way from that um, desk to the bed. I was finding the in-between there somehow. I'm telling you, they were basically touching, but I found myself in between there from time to time uh, with the level of exhaustion. So that was that was my life towards the end of, of college. I was um, fortunate there. We're, we're speeding up the timeline. We're about three years into this now. And um, I am here in Columbus, Ohio for the Arnold Classic. And um, I'm here with some friends and I am someone who never goes out. I'm, I'm not much for going out to bars. It's just never been my, my thing a whole lot. But while we were here for the Arnold, my, our friends wanted to really go out. And so I, I decided I'll go out with you guys. And we went out and I was so pleasantly surprised to meet my now wife while I was at that bar, which is crazy. I, I'd probably been to a bar less than five times in my life. And in that time frame, I was able to meet the girl of my dreams. Wild situation. Um, she had a boyfriend at the time, actually. This is going to be a little bit of a side tangent for you guys to hear about the ori <laughs> orientation. 
the the start of Sue and I's relationship is that she had a boyfriend at the time. Allegedly, this is alleged for for the people who are listening. This is alleged that I tried to kiss her. Is is allegedly what I don't I don't remember this. I, I don't think that that happened. Um, that I tried to kiss her and her friend there actually spit in my face because I tried to kiss her and said she has a boyfriend. <laughs> I. I don't think that that was, I remember the spit in the face. Trust me. I remember that landing on my cheek, oh my but God. I do not remember the kiss. And so, uh, we give her a ride home that night and I put my number in, in her phone. And, uh, that was kind of what that night entailed as a whole. And I just stayed in contact with her. I was obsessed with her, bro. I was, that was, I knew that that was the girl of my dreams from that moment. And so I just stayed in contact and she was not someone who received a whole lot of calls. She was not big on calls. I called her constantly. <laughs> she would answer and be like, hello? I'm like, hey, what you doing? Why are you calling me? I just want to talk. What, what are you up to? What are you doing today? What's, what's your plan? Hope you're having a good day. And so we, I would just call her and we would FaceTime. And this slowly got to a point where she ends up breaking up with the boyfriend. And then I continue on my pursuit. And then we just FaceTime hours and hours and hours. And then I finally am able to uh, secure a date. And so that was kind of <laughs> in about a six or six month window, I suppose there, um, I was able to have all those things kind of transpire. And I bring that story into the, into the table here because bringing Sue in is the catalyst for physique development to really rise and, and to become what it is today because she's such a big part of the company. She um, really brought out a lot of belief in myself that I did not have. Like I, I, had a, I had the skill, I had the knowledge, but I did not have the confidence to really share that. And she was a huge part in bringing that out in my life. And so that's a, yeah, why I tell you that. And so as she and I started to, to date, in, in nine months of us dating, I proposed to her. Like I said, I was obsessed with her from that night at Brothers in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, my uh, the classic. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obsessed with her from then. I knew that I was going to marry her very early on. I was way too obsessed with Still to this day, five years into marriage, still very obsessed with her. And so with that, uh, we, we get engaged and um, the business is starting to be in a place where I'm a little bit more stable. I'm at a, at a point now where I'm still working at Vitamin Shop. I'm finishing college and we are in a, a position where I've got maybe four, 30 to 40 clients. I'm still working those 40 hours at Vitamin Shop. Miserable. I do not recommend this to anyone uh, to be finishing school and still working full time and then having that quantity of clients. Not advisable, but I felt it was a security net for me. It was something where I did not want to let go because I was fearful to make the leap. And as we're getting married, we're trying to decide where we're going to live because we were, we were dating long distance. I was living in Evansville, Indiana, and she was here in Columbus, Ohio. And so we had to make a decision of, am I going to quit my job and do this full time or try to keep, you know, figuring it out and, um, decided to take the leap. And so that was, that was six years ago now to go full time with, uh, physique development and working with one-on-one -on -one clients and building physique development. And I am so grateful that the, I was forced kind of into that leap because I needed the the extra jump, if you will. So uh, as we got married, we moved to, to Louisville, Kentucky, and that was kind of the 
initial orient or yeah, the initial phase of of physique development becoming what is more well known at this moment for the results and those different factors. But that's the beginning aspect of like really getting off the ground and figuring things out. And uh, yeah, no, that's that's hilarious because I I knew some of the uh, the other points of that origin story, but I did not know about how you met Sue. So that, that's <laughs> fucking hilarious. I love that. Um, but but no, man, like I obviously have known you for quite a while. I think we met in what, like 2018, 2019? Yeah, I mean, we we met at Sue's parents' house. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. Um, because that was when Alex was working for Sue's sister. For Sam. Yeah. Sam, yeah. Yeah, so we definitely met. That was the first time we'd met in person. I don't know if we had corresponded or anything probably probably yeah um so like i mean i've obviously been following you guys for a long time even before i knew of you personally i knew of physique development so kind of going back to the whole youtube presence and the content you guys were putting out i actually knew of you your company i guess before that so that was always really cool for me and like honestly you have always been someone even though you're younger than me which i just realized which (laughs) great um someone that i kind of have always look to as like inspiration in the industry Appreciate that which has definitely been cool you know and we've talked quite you know ad nauseum about our parallels and a lot of this which again is is just kind of fun to follow along it's nice to have someone who has a lot of like the same ideologies beliefs that that i have and can be able to like have that other person in the industry that like all right this person is not corruptible which is great because in the industry it's very easy to find that corruption find people who are just kind of like displace morals for the pursuit of status or money. And this is, you know, a complete side tangent to what we should be talking about. But what we are going to be talking about is more so ideology, right? So, um, you know, that's that's kind of where I was going with that is just us talking about how both of us have generally pretty similar principles, especially whenever it comes to programming, even though they have come from very different places. I feel like you came up with very... Um, very different pillars of like how you learned about programming. And then mine was a completely separate direction as well. But we ended up in the same general place. But do you want to kind of talk about what has been influenced for your programming style now? And then we can talk about where that programming style currently is. Yeah, dude, programming is a is an interesting one, because I think that the more that you can take in all the information from a lot of different resources, the better off that you're going to be. The I think that the individual who only consumes one way of of doing something is going to be the one that's probably the least or yeah, probably the least successful as a whole. And the most like just tunnel vision towards things and not being able to um, d- use deductive reasoning, take into other like influences that are coming in to make those decisions. Uh, so to give a little bit of background from the uh, program design perspective is that I skipped over a part of here while I was in college, I was also planning to uh, coach from a strength conditioning perspective. I wanted to coach at the collegiate level. And that was what I was interning with while I was in school. So I was working with the volleyball and the softball team. And that was a really cool experience. But I also realized that although you may do an amazing job as a strength and conditioning coach, it really depends on how the team plays, if you keep your job or not. And I did not love that as a possibility for my life and like moving family around and all those different factors. So that being said, a lot of my base comes from a sports specific standpoint. From there, I kind of got into um, 
consuming the information from MI40, Ben Pokolsky, Kasim Hansen, um, that, or uh, Joe Bennett, that group of individuals when they were all there. And then the individuals broke off from there. So Joe Bennett is the hypertrophy coach for those who were unaware. And he did his own thing. And then Kasim Hansen went off and did his own thing and created N1 Education. And so with my, from the sports, I went into both of them being kind of my main sources of program design and how we structure things and those different factors. And so the way that they go about program design is going to be something that is breaking down the training into really three compartments, if you will, like strength training being by itself, hypertrophy training being by itself. And with those three pillars, you're you're only doing that type of training. So you're you're having only strength emphasis, only hypertrophy, only endurance base. Whereas in the literature, there's there's more backing for doing the strength work, moving into a little bit of hypertrophy, ending with the endurance, running that for eight to 12 weeks, let's say, and then having a deload and then just running it back type situation. And so this was an interesting way of going about the program design because I liked it in the sense that you were able to train longer or you're training harder for longer periods of time. And I found that that to be beneficial for the athlete to be able to navigate through and having a progression of like, okay, I'm going to have four sets of four and really push myself. And then I'm going to have a better understanding of how strong I really am going into hypertrophy. And so now I have a ability to use a heavier load for a higher rep range and then moving into something more endurance based as more of a deload from that hard training that we did within the strength and hypertrophy work. And so that is kind of the structure and a very simplistic viewpoint of how I go about the program design and utilizing these different facets because it also gives me an opportunity where someone who's coming from a background of strength training or coming from a lot of hypertrophy that I can take them into these different realms of, of program design and they have a lot of success because their ability to adapt and improve and progress, the the gap there is massive because they just haven't really challenged themselves in the ways that are being presented through that training. And so it's a really great way for a client to get buy-in early of like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing progress right away. Like I'm having a lot of success here. And then you're able to really navigate and have better trust with the client as they move into greater uh, programs and those different factors. And I found a lot of success with it. There's that the beautiful thing, and we'll get into this today, is like from a training perspective, there's so many different ways for us to go about it. There's some main components for us to be able to utilize in there that maximize the results in those different aspects. But then outside of those main components, we can have variability, customization, and those different factors to have the best adherence. And I think that that's where some of the differentiation as well as the personalization um, from a program design perspective comes into play. And so that's where things get fun and interesting. No, again, like the parallels here, and I, I don't know how much you know about like how I program. Sure, you've probably seen something at some point, um, but from a high level, it's very similar to that. I don't break things up into strength, hypertrophy, and endurance, but I generally break things up and I call them different things at different points in time for different clients, but it'll be something with more of like a volume-based approach something with more of an intensity-based approach and something with more of a metabolic approach with shorter rest times, higher reps, and intensity techniques that can be applied specifically within each of those different phases with exercise selection that applies to each of those different phases selectively, right? So like in a metabolic block, I'm not gonna have people do barbell squats and barbell deadlifts if we're doing, you know, 
sets of 10 plus with 60 seconds rest. That obviously makes no sense. But we might be able to use a technique like blood flow restriction, which we wouldn't be doing in something like an intensity, quote unquote, training block, where we might utilize things like rest pause sets and cluster sets, right? So, um, you know, my training style has been influenced a lot by in a very strange way, because these are very polar opposite ideologies. But um, Mike Isretel from RP, uh, who I have always put like a lot of of stock into into his thoughts, because he's a very smart in- individual, but also very science based, very research based. And he can, you know, speak from that authority, which I've always really enjoyed. And then also John Meadows, who's very much like experience anecdote, like I'm going to try out all this crazy bullshit and just see what happens. And in theory, they could not be further apart, but <laughs> I, I've always enjoyed both sides of that. You know, and I'm sure that you're the same or like you like the science behind things. You'd like to have that, that proof, that data that is corresponding why or to why, like we might be making the decisions that we, that we are in our programming, but also just like the ability at times to just experiment and just see like, what is going to happen? Like, does this actually work? And that has definitely influenced a lot of my programming style, but it's funny, again, you know, we've come from different places, but ended up in very similar spots now with how we think about programming from a high level. And um, I, I can definitely speak for both of us whenever I say that not a lot of people think this deep, deeply about programming. It's <laughs> it's very much an afterthought yes. for, for a lot of coaches in the industry. And I, I truly believe that the emphasis that we both put on coaching or on, excuse me, on programming and and training comes from our background because I was also in the strength and conditioning world right. before. So like, because of that, it was all about training because we're working with athletes not athletes getting on stage. We're like performance athletes and training is it's the thing in that world, you know? So I think that's where a lot of like the importance that we put, both put on programming has come from. But again, you know, it's, it's very non-typical with the industry that we currently work in, which maybe is why we've been able to separate our ourselves and our businesses yeah. a little bit. But um, do you have any additional thoughts on that? Yeah, I was actually asked on a, a question box, I don't know, a couple a couple weeks ago of dead or alive, who would you train with? Who would you want to have one training session with? And my response was John Meadows. I've always looked up to, to John Meadows as a whole. Uh, I think that like, what I appreciate so abundantly about him was the aspect of just his ability to be himself all the time, like did not care if he was right or wrong. It was just a matter of like, this is what I believe. This is what I enjoy. And I'm going to come at it organically. And I thought that was amazing as well as his ability to be such a family man at a point where it's like in an industry where that is not something that is overly celebrated or talked about. He was like showing his, his son, yo-yo trick in the middle of his his video like you would uh, normally see someone putting an ad in there and he's having a small clip in the middle of his video of his son showcasing his yo-yo trick and it's like that is so cool to me that he's willing to make those it's small stuff but it's it's cool um and yeah so I, i think that the the emphasis on the the program design certainly has been something that has allowed us to separate, but also is something from an industry perspective where, as you said, is an afterthought and just kind of thought of as just train hard, just like go in there and do movements for your glutes and do movements for your chest. And that will be significant enough. And I think there's so much more emphasis that can be placed on these different factors as we have made our, we have made very uh, understood through our work and and through the uh, transformations that we've had that 
by having that greater emphasis and better understanding of, of how to perform exercise and how to have more specific programming to the individual, that uh, there really is that much more to it. And there's a big part of what clients are missing out on with their their progress. And they can have better results, quicker results by having this greater emphasis. It's probably going to be more work and more detail and, and being a little bit more aware, but it's going to pay off tenfold in, in the long haul. And, and that's one thing about training is it is so detail oriented. It's so tedious from the coaching perspective. Not a lot of people actually want to go to those lengths to be really good at training because it's not that nutrition and diet is easy. It, it's definitely not. But once you have the foundation of education there as a coach, it's much easier to work with a high volume of nutrition clients than it is to go in and look at a programming week or a programming macro cycle and be like, all right, cool. This is what, what we're going to do for this client down to the exercise, down to like the rep scheme, down to the tempo, you know, like that level of granularity, it, it's just not present in nutrition. Um, it doesn't need to be that present in nutrition, right? Like, I mean, I don't know how many people want to be tracking like their vitamin K intake down to like the IU every single day, probably not that many people. Um, but with trading, like that's kind of what you have to do. And that's, that's what, what is required, especially at, the advanced level with some of the clients that we're working with, like, I mean, they're on pro stages, they're trying to turn pro shit, they're trying to get on Olympia stages, like they need that level of attention. Um, and I will also kind of go to the opposite side of that, where, you know, we, we definitely pride ourselves in like that level of detail and that level of understanding and training. Um, and there are a lot of coaches that say, just go in and train hard, you don't like, it'll all work itself out if you just train hard. And, um, you know, try and add to your training log every, every other week. Right. Um, but I also think that there are a lot of coaches that overcomplicate things yeah. and it makes it really difficult for beginners and even intermediates to follow that without thinking that they're doing something wrong. If, you know, this exercise isn't down or isn't correct down to like the nth degree, right? Like if it's not set up exactly this way. If you don't have this exact machine, if you don't have this exact, like no loading parameter, then all of a sudden, like it's ineffective. You can't do it. You have to do, figure out something else. There's a lot of confusion there. So like, I know that you come from like MI40, you come from a, a bit more in one. I don't know how much experience you have within one. I, I think we've talked about this before, but you've gone through yeah. like a lot of their courses, right? Yeah, I've gone through their courses. I, I, I've been to a handful of practicals. I think that I started to, well, I was, I was consuming Kasim's content yeah. when he was at MI40, he moves on and, and starts in one education. And I kind of just migrate with him, understanding that he was kind of the the brains mm -hmm. around what MI40 was teaching at the time. Um, and so as he was getting into it, he's, I mean, he is the origin of a lot of these things, not in a, in a negative sense, but is the origin for more of the uh, proper execution and different, differing execution of, of being perfectly set up for these different muscle groups that we're trying to target, he's kind of the origin of this getting started. And this kind of goes from him to uh, Paul Carter and both of, both of them. And then this kind of being an origin to JPG. And then JPG coming at a perfect time for TikTok and amassing a, a 3 million follower count and being in a position where he's teaching these very nuanced details to these 15-year-old kids who are at the gym working out for the first time, trying to set up the perfect pull down. When in reality, these kids just need to do a dumbbell row and a dumbbell bench press and more simplistic movements because they don't even have any muscle tissue to really speak of 
at this immediate moment. Whereas if you go back to the origin of Casim, Casim is trying to just simply teach from an anatomical perspective and, and give people the tools to better understand how their body functions so that they can have the resources to set up a, a training session that's perfect for them, no matter the equipment that they have. Like that is definitely the origin of his goal. Where it got misconstrued was through the short form content and those different factors through TikTok and, and those different things. And so when we talk about the optimal exercises, right? This is kind of the, the term that everyone's using of optimal, 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 and what have you. It's it's one of those situations that a large majority of people don't need to worry too much about it being this, this portion of the lat is what's working. And then I need to also do train this portion of the lat. It's like, you just need to train your lats, man. You just need to train your back. Like there's there's levels to this. And I think that, we've gotten to a place because of the short form content and those different factors to where we have a thought process that all the nuance applies to every single person. And that is definitely not the case. Yeah. And this is something that I've internally kind of pushed back a lot on over the last couple of years is I'm someone who, whenever it comes to biomechanics, I'm, I'm stingy. Like I'm, I am like on top of it. I want to make sure everyone is knows what the fuck they're doing whenever it comes to biomechanics. And this was a big aspect too of, you know, training from home during 2020, where you don't have to have all this equipment. If you just understand how these muscles work, you can make a lot happen. And I think that's what you alluded to. Like that was the origin of what Kasim was really trying to preach back then was like, understand these things and you'll be able to do anything. You'll be able to make anything work for you. That's really what you want. Um, short form content, tends to crop out a lot of context and a lot of nuance because you just don't have a lot of time and people don't have a lot of attention span to search for that context and nuance. And it's a lot easier to argue. Um, do you want to maybe speak to some of like the, the arguments or larger scale disagreements that have popped up kind of within that camp over the last couple of years? Uh, you did mention a few names. We don't really have to like throw names out there, but I don't mind. <laughs> so, yeah, just like a, a couple of, of examples of where where this like ideologies may be taken a wrong turn. Yeah. So, man, I would say there's a couple of factors here is that the number one, I would say is that the optimal exercises immediately means that you can't train hard. Like optimal is more important than you training hard. And that is so not true. Like the, the optimal nature is like, if you have the perfect pull down, and you're still training like a bitch, like it's probably still not gonna work. I, it doesn't matter how optimal the line of, of force is and those different factors. And so the the intensity component, the trade-off of thinking that being more optimal allows for you to train at less intensity was very wrong. And I think that that one has been a little bit more debunked as of late and people have been addressing that more. And there's been more short form content that has been like, poking fun at it to, to create awareness and those different factors. Um, I think that the next one would be something where it was, if you don't do these exercises or if, if you do optimal exercises, things like the bench press or like barbell bench press, the deadlift and the barbell back squat is terrible. And you should never do these three exercises. You'll never grow if you do these three exercises. I think that that is a massive misunderstanding that was never said, but potentially implied by some of the, again, short form content that was generated from this to create it, it, what you're looking for from short form content, attention, eyeballs, and 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 comments, and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that 
that was kind of lost in there is that if you if you feel good through a barbell back squat, you should probably barbell back squat. If you don't feel great in a barbell back squat, you should probably get things looked at, see if things things from like a biomechanical perspective just doesn't line up well for you. There's other options to to sub in if that doesn't fit well for you. And the same thing goes for the the deadlift, and the same thing goes for the barbell bench press. Like it's obviously there's a lot of of anecdotal. Um, I guess, evidence within the world of like people bench press and they got big chest, yep. people deadlifted and they got big hamstrings, they got big backs and so on and so forth. And so it's one of those situations that there's a, a lot of data that's there, but people wanted to be like, nope, all of this is somehow doesn't apply. And if you only do these exercises, this is how you're going to grow. And I think that that was very misunderstood as well. Um, maybe the the third one would be something where it... I don't know. Those are probably the two biggest ones. Do you have Do you have any in mind uh, that I may not have touched on? Well, I can just think of like pretty clear examples of uh, of <laughs> of arguments that have popped up out of this. One being uh, sumo deadlifts and sumo stance in general <laughs> being not good for your glutes or not glute optimal, glute specific. Uh, another one being abductions not being for hip abductors or or glutes. They're you know for your uh, what what was what was the argument that they were for like your TFL or something? Was that what it was? It, like the piriformis was the only thing that was yeah, that was working. That's right. Um, so those are like two big ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I know another one that just immediately comes to mind is like the preference for dumbbells over barbell with pretty much anything, just because it aligns with your joints a little bit better. Right. Uh, I, I the funny thing is I agree with a lot of these things, but um, the way that arguments are made tend to be exclusively from one side yes because they're trying to win the argument so because you're hearing that it's very easy to say you know don't ever do sumo deadlifts because you're not training your glutes and the context gets completely missed there where it's like if you want to do sumo deadlifts and you feel like that's a good movement for you and maybe you train from home you don't have a lot of other shit to do go ahead and do it it's like it's not that big of a deal um but whenever people with large platforms say things repeatedly and they say them very demonstratively it's it's hard to overlook that especially if you're someone who doesn't really have a voice in the industry or you don't really know too much and you're coming in here with kind of a blank slate and you're just being impressionable and like listening to people that you trust uh like those are those are a couple a couple of the bigger ones that i can think of off the top of my head just as like clean examples of whenever things seemingly started off a little bit like you know productive or even innocent and then they just <laughs> wildly devolved very very quickly into like you know 10 slide rebuttals and all kinds of crazy shit on instagram which was kind of fun to to follow along with but um yeah i mean my thing is in general like most people take things way too seriously like you know if you're getting worked up about you know whether machine abductions train your piriformis or your glute mead like and that worked up to the point where you're you're creating like you know series on your Instagram and like you know you're just going all off on shit on people and like that just feels like a lot of energy for something that is not worth the squeeze you know um what what are your thoughts there yeah so I think that there's there is a healthy balance between doing movements that you enjoy and then following the literature like perfectly or, or the research as a whole, like there's just going to be some give and take. And so there are going to be movements that if we look at the the data that's collected, that may not be perfect for the, the tissue that you're wanting to train. 
But if you're enjoying it and you're feeling like you're making progress and you're seeing yourself, your your body composition change and and maybe things align differently for you and they feel better for you and those within the movement, like you should keep doing it. Because I think that the component that's lost within this is we are trying to create a program that they're able to adhere to over the long haul. It's just not setting up in a lab and saying, okay, we have every piece of equipment possible. We're setting up the perfect training session for today. What are we doing? It's like, we need to have a program that is going to allow for this person to progress over a long period of time. And if in that program, that includes sumo deadlifts, then I think that that's what we should do. Do I think that there are some shortcomings within sumo deadlift from a hypertrophy perspective? Sure. I think that there are ways that you can execute that movement that don't allow for you to maximize overall hypertrophy from a range of motion perspective, positioning of the hips, et cetera, et cetera. But there are ways to do the sumo deadlift that allow for you to increase that range of motion, to put the hips in a better position, to allow for you to have better muscle contraction and those different factors. Um, this is on, speaking on this, this is probably one of our most viewed videos on YouTube, um, the physique development sumo deadlift video, where we talk about better positioning to actually allow for you to have, I guess, a better glute recruitment as a whole. This is like one of our only videos that's like, I want to say 350K or 400K views. It's, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> anyway, so movements like that or the uh, abduction machine, things of that nature that I, I think that there is value to them. But I also think that it's an opportunity to create um, friction and for people to pay more attention and to create conversation. And I think that oftentimes that's why it's looked at in, in these absolute natures because people get a rise, people get a response out of them. And so it, it creates attention. And oftentimes that's what people are looking for from a social media perspective. And so I think that that's why those kind of conversations are continued to be uh, talked about because they elicit that response. If they didn't elicit that response, I don't think that it would be a, a, a massive talking point. It'd be a point being made and then everyone would just move on and we'd talk about different topics that would get a rise out of, out of other individuals. Yeah, and one thing that is, it makes it tough to be an educator in this space is that people always try to dunk on you. So like, I'm sure that you've had this experience before too, where like you try and put out, you try to put out content and you feel like you're doing something very productive. You're like, I'm going to, Maybe you're not thinking this in the moment. You're like, I'm going to be helping a lot of people with this. But like, you know, in your head, you're like, this is good content. Like I, I'm, you know, hopefully people are learning something from watching this, right? And then people just try and dunk on you. Like, actually, and it's like, <laughs> all right, I get it. Maybe like you fly a little bit of nuance here. Maybe like the things that I said in this moment aren't 100% correct, but maybe they're anecdotally correct, right? Or maybe they're correct for some people. Um, that makes it difficult though to like continue to want to put yourself out there or I don't want to say like, innovate, but come up with, come up with like new, um, you know, speak your mind. Yeah. Speak your mind. Yes. Come up with new ideas, put forth things that aren't just, you know, repeated ad nauseum, which in the fitness space, like there's only so many things you can innovate on, right? Like, like we know how to get bigger and stronger. Like it, it's not that difficult at the end of the day. So like a lot of the things that we're arguing about inevitably are going to be nuanced. Like we know that mm. you want to get bigger, you have to eat a lot of food. You have to eat a lot of protein. You have to train really hard and you have to recover really hard. If you want to get really strong, you have to do a lot of those things as well. But, you know, zooming in is where people start to really lose the plot, you know? And I've seen people go way off on just the most ridiculous arguments that you could ever imagine. And you take a step back and you're like this, how many people is this even relevant to? Like, you know, like 
how many people are asking these actual questions versus like you just wanting to argue and you just wanting to make your point or you just wanting to dunk on someone who you know has more followers than you or has you know more more eyes on them um and that's always something that like i kind of internally battle with as well where it's like i'm definitely more comfortable with my opinion these days whereas you know maybe three four years ago i'm kind of filtered some of the things that i said because i'm like shit i don't really want to get dunked on. I don't really want someone to show up in my comment section and just like call me out on something that I said that might not really be right or it might just be something that I think is right, but I'm proven to be wrong later on, you know? And I, I, this is actually a great question for you because I'm curious, but like, is there anything that like you have changed your mind on or like in oh, more recent lines, you know, maybe new literature has come out, um, even like something anecdotal that you've seen with your clients or yourself where before you believe something, now you believe something almost completely different? Yeah, I would say, gosh, there's there's a handful of of different things. I think that um, one thing that comes to mind is I trained or I would program with a lot more volume previously, like a good quantity more volume, thinking that volume was going to be my big driver to create hypertrophy as a whole. And in in recent years, I've really gotten more to, I'm looking for really quality sets of really pushing towards a, a point of what what's the heaviest loader that we can use for this rep range and really push ourselves without getting into like a, if we're, if we're looking at a hypertrophy program, getting to that point of, of really pushing the strength, but not allowing for muscle endurance to be our limiting factor, where we're not actually uh, able to contract the tissue any longer relative to like, I feel like I could go again, but I am at such a point of of cardiovascular that I'm like, ah, eh, I I can't even keep going. Like I want to avoid that in the context of me um, having a hypertrophy goal. Now, in the context of me in endurance or metabolic training, I'm actually trying to train that cardiovascular system to be better so that I can withstand fatigue better in those hypertrophy phases moving forward. So that's, you know, again, it's one of those situations where context plays such a large role in terms of what we're looking at when we're programming and those different factors. And so when I'm looking at hypertrophy programs, I program maybe a little bit from, I program a little bit less from a set perspective, but the intensity of the sets that I have is probably a little bit higher than what I once have programmed previously. Because um, previously I would have like too many, too many kind of feeder sets, if you if we want to call them that, at lower RPEs that just weren't necessary for me to have in place, thinking, again, volume was going to be my driver for for growth. And it definitely plays a role, but I, I don't think at this point that that's our, our main driving force from a hypertrophy perspective. And if you have a, a differing thought, I would love to hear that. But that's my understanding at this point. So, um, so I, I think the best way that I could think about this is you have to have enough volume at a high enough intensity intensity to create change, you know? Um, so there, there are definitely polar opposite sides of this. Where one side you have like the high volume camp um, where the volume is excessive to the point where you can't sustain a requisite intensity, you know? And a lot of this you'll see like, you know, 10 exercises of four to five sets each. Um, these are like your typical bikini PDFs that you'll, that I'm sure you have seen plenty of, and I have seen enough to last me two lifetimes. Um, <laughs> and then on the other side, you know, you have more of like the dog crap esque style training, right? Where it's like absolute bare minimum volume, absolute right. maximum intensity. But one thing that I found is that, um, obviously every client is, is like necessitating a different training approach in general. So like, no matter what my ideology is, I have to tinker with that just a little bit for every single client. Um, I have 
gotten to a point where I think for me, it's easier to assume that a client is going to underestimate their intensity and automatically make up for that with a little bit more volume. Whereas in a perfect world, I would have programs with less volume with the assumption that the intensity markers are going to be hit the way that I intend for them to be hit. But whenever I give someone, let's say like two RAR and a leg press, I have to automatically round that down a little bit in my head because most people, no matter how much you prod them, are just not going to be able to take themselves to those levels of intensity consistently throughout you know the progression of a training block or phase. So that's always been my thing with um, with favoring intensity over volume is just I have an internal reluctance to trust people that they are training as hard as they say that they are training, you know? That's excellent. I, I agree with you 100%. I okay. think that um, that is a, a caveat that has to be stated 100% because it is going to be a case-by-case -case perspective and, and having that tidbit of extra volume, I think is a, a really important piece there. Um, to speak to another thing that I've, I've changed my mind on within like the, the leg press, for example, I used to teach it in a way that was a, a higher and wider stance to bias more glutes. And I've been more within a, like a shoulder width to a little bit more narrow. And honestly, not even doing the leg press bilaterally, having so much more success with the leg press in single leg um, with, from a glute tension perspective, getting range of motion to be in a better position. I've really gone towards just being in a single leg position. And so that has been a big change for me where I've seen to ha I, I've had much better results with clients in the single leg positioning, as well as I think that when we get to a point on the leg press that we're able to really load it up, that we're, now we're just displacing and moving load as best as humanly possible. We're just moving load as best as we can. And it's not even that we can create a bias. It's just like, I'm just going for sheer force. And from a hypertrophy perspective, it's not necessarily anything that I'm shooting for at that time. Like as much as it's cool to post a video of doing a thousand pounds on the leg press, for example, the reality of, from a hypertrophy perspective, if that's going to be like the thing to cause you to have hypertrophy or not, it's probably not the case, but also who's getting on the leg press and does a thousand pounds and does a, a great range of motion and they're not jacked. Like, is there someone that's there? Like, I think that there's a, a point to be made on that side as well, but we're also thinking from a, <clears throat> a standpoint within our clients of live to train another day and we're trying to accumulate volume over time. And yeah. so thinking in that context as well of how can I set up a program that we're able to recover from as best as possible. And I'm able to also have this individual go to work, carry their kids around, go to their practices and do all the other things within their life while also still making progress in the gym. And that is where the the uh, expertise and the knowledge really come into play for someone to make those strides because I could write a program that is perfect in the, in the sense of on paper, but then the application to the individual who may have two jobs, kids, like that's not going to work for her. And so that is where the challenge of individual nature really comes into play for the programs and why it becomes even more important at that point. Yeah. And I love that you added that last part because if there's one thing that I have evolved my my training philosophy to accommodate, it's that everything will inevitably be fucked up. Like that, like I, it's just that understanding, right? Like no matter what I do from a programming standpoint, the only thing I can count on is that my client will fuck it up. 
like that's it's a universal law. It's like gravity, right? Like that will happen at every single step. And, you know, whether it's something big, like they just, you know, absolutely cannot get to the gym for like a week in the middle of our training cycle. And like that just completely fucks up our progression or whether it's small, like they, you know, get their tempos mixed up. And instead of doing like a three second eccentric, they do a three second concentric, right? Like whether it's it's that small, um, they're going to mess something up. And I think that this kind of goes back to our our initial conversation about like searching for optimal. I think that's why I've taken such a step back from searching for optimals because I understand it doesn't matter how optimally I program if the client can't do it or if it, or if they're unable to do it or if something happens in the middle of their training cycle like you know it might be perfect for them for 3 weeks and then you know we're on the fourth week of a training block and their kid gets sick and they have to stay home and you can't account for life circumstances so like expending a lot of energy or, or brain power or um or effort to try and make the perfect program i think is kind of fruitless it, it, you know good enough in the training sense is good enough and then where the coaching really comes into play is being able to modify i think that's where my my philosophy has changed a lot over the years is like i used to put so much time and effort into the perfect program and like the first week of a training a training block like really looking at it making sure everything was like pristine now I'm very much like, it's good enough. Let's modify it if something comes up, you know? Yeah. And if they're training hard enough, they're going to make progress. And I think that um, that's something that is maybe a little bit antithetical to like where my, even like my philosophy on like biomechanics comes from. But that's definitely something I've noticed with a lot of my clientele over the years is like, if you give them a squat, and this is kind of going off of your your post that you made earlier today. If you give them a squat, an RDL, or a hip thrust, if they're training hard enough, their glutes are going to grow. Right. You know, so always searching for that perfect exercise or that perfect program is it's kind of pointless if you just educate your clients and kind of follow them along. Make sure that you're you're coaching them well, and the progress is going to happen, even if it is a smidge slower. But they might be you know more successful in the long term. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even. I can think of so many scenarios where I've been so bent out of shape that I've written, I've spent so much time on a program. I have these beautiful supersets that are perfect pairings. Then I have trisets that are like, oh my gosh, if they do this, they're going to, they're going to feel amazing. This is going to be so cool. And then they come back the, after the first week of doing it and be like, well, this piece of equipment was taken. And so I just went ahead and moved this up. And I know it was like the last thing, but it was the only piece of equipment that was available. So I did it first. And then I also then just moved everything around and I just kind of turned it into this big tricep that I just kind of ran around and I was like, well, what do you mean? And I would be so bent out of shape of like, you just destroyed all of the hard work that I just put into place for you. You have no idea what, what emotionally I have invested into this program. And I have come to terms with that so much better now. <laughs> my, my expectations in terms of if I'm going to, if I'm going to write a program like that, I have to know so many things. I have to know that that person is very well equipped and understands the how important these different variables are and why I'm programming it this way. I'm not just doing it to do it. And they've they've got the equipment to do it. They have the uh, time available, all these. There's a lot of checklists that I have to put into place. And if I know any of those things are not checked off my list, I know that it's on me, that it's not going to be followed properly. It's like one of those things. And so yeah, that's a, a big transformation because as I 
uh, especially early on, I get so excited about learning a new, uh, you know, principle or a, learning a new intensifier or something along those lines and trying to use it. And then, you know, null and void because they weren't able to do it. Yeah. And, that, and that's a big thing is like, how practical are the things that you're implementing for your clients? And, you know, you talk about supersets, tri-sets, circuits, like running all over the place, even equi yeah. equipment availability. Um, these are things that like as a coach, especially an online coach, it's so fucking hard to predict, right? Like yeah. if you're, if you're a personal trainer at LA fitness and you're walking your client through a workout, like you can put a water bottle on this machine, reserve it, you know, stay within arm's distance, make sure that your supersets are working as an online coach. It's a free for all. It, it's, it's, it is a shit show half the time with what we're trying to program and hoping and like just praying that our clients can do it or, you know, don't fuck something up or the equipment isn't broken that week, or, you know, they don't have some XYZ life circumstance pop up that prevents them from being able to do what we're trying to get them to do. And luckily, we're able to work with higher level competitors. So in the grand scheme of things, our clients are generally more advanced, they're more adherent, they're more motivated, you know, we don't have to like push and pry them to go to the gym, where a lot of gen pop clients like, you know, they might not even go to the gym. <laughs> you know, that might be a huge barrier for them much less, you know, them sticking to their macros, but like just them going to the gym and getting a 30 minute workout in for most people, it's much more important that they know general principles of how to train hard and like how to train well and sustainable than it is for them to worry about some of like the hardcore nuances that you and I might know that we might apply to our higher level clients, but it's really not applicable for probably 90% of people that might be following us, listening to us, or even following our clients that are at a high level. I know I've had this issue with some of my clients where, um, you know, they've been asked what they do by people that follow them. And it's like, dude, what I'm doing isn't applicable to you. Right. <laughs> you know, like you might see me or you might see like some of these high level athletes and think that you should be doing what they're doing. In reality, like what they're doing is so nuanced. It's, it's for them. And we work with a lot of bikini competitors as well. I'm like, that is the most specific training you could ever fucking imagine. Like <laughs> at a high level, that shit is hard. It is hard to put together those types of programs that make sense for those types of athletes. And it's funny because, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, especially the training as an afterthought type of coaches, they really don't appreciate how complicated bikini training is at a high level. Whenever you have clients, it's like they can't get any more muscular but they have to improve and it's like fuck, man this is this is challenging this is like really trying to like pull out every skill i have whenever it comes to programming really taking all that time but um you know that is where you can really stretch your abilities is with those high levels yes. and that is where it's, it tends to be a little bit more rewarding um but one thing i definitely want to talk to you about here again i think we've covered a good amount and like what we talked about this is like the surface level of all the shit that we could yeah. possibly get into, then this will definitely be a longer conversation at, at some point. But um, I think as, as coaches, we have kind of an obligation or we, we should always be seeking to be contrarian, you know, um, not always just agreeing with whatever is popular in the moment. And like I said before, I used to be a little bit more self-conscious in my knowledge and the things that I wanted to put out publicly as a, as opinions, because I didn't want to be proven wrong, you know, definitely gotten more confident about that now. And whenever I see shit that I think is bullshit, I'm like, that is bullshit. Right. And I feel very comfortable saying that 
But is there something that's pretty popular right now, like an ideology, um, something that's being put out, something that's being followed that you just really disagree with? Gosh, I, th- this is going to seem like a cop out to listeners, but this is honest to God how I feel. Making things so black and white, like the the training, the new, there, there's so much gray to what we do and so much nuance and individuality that needs to be taken into consideration to think that we can just, you know, have this specific amount of exercises or these specific exercises and nothing else applies, nothing else works, only these is so sh- like show so short-sighted that it it irks me. And I, that's one of the things that I I don't love of the um uh, like the, I guess it would be almost like the political you know, aspect to fitness content or what have you of like, you're with us or you're against us. It's like, no, no, no. There's a lot here that we can agree on. I can disagree with some of the things that you say, but for the most part, we agree on things. And and that's, that's fine. Like, I don't, I don't dislike you. I think that there's just, you know, situations that are in, in place and I'm not saying you, I'm saying in, in general, right? right? So with that, I think that the, the black and white or the absolute nature to things is the thing that bothers me probably the most right now and the lack of conversation, like the speaking in the absolutes and being like, no, there's no way that what you say has any validity because what I say is 100% right. And that is, that bothers me a ton. Do you feel like as you get more experienced, as you continue to progress through your, your coaching life cycle, and also as you get older as well, do you feel like you get more and more pushed into the middle of every argument? Like, <laughs> or, or every like, like polar side, do you feel like you just get smushed in the middle of that to where it's very hard to say this side is right, this side is wrong, where you're like, it depends. And it, it does feel like a cop-out. Um, but I, like, personally, I definitely found myself to ha- agree at times with one side or the other in a lot of different arguments or, you know, being able to put myself in those positions or say, like, you know what, maybe I used to believe this or I, I still believe this a little bit more. But I feel like as I get older, <laughs> I just end up in the middle of pretty much everything. And it's not sexy. It's not controversial. Um, but I feel like that, especially in fitness, is truly where most people should be. And um, like what you said, people just kind of arguing for the sake of arguing and not wanting to have those conversations. It The problem is that that is what develops like these cult-like communities. And that makes money. Like that sells. And whenever you can create these like us against them narratives, um, unfortunately, that is how you you can. That's one way to build a very successful fitness business is whenever you you pick one thing and you just dig in on that one thing, and then you build your entire platform or marketing off of that one thing. And it doesn't matter if that one thing is wrong or proven to be wrong. If you insulate yourself, then it doesn't matter. You can always just make it an us against them type of thing. And if you have one very loud, charismatic leader, which is often what happens with these these types of things, then it just continues forever, you know? And a really high level example I can think of is like Liver King, right? Yeah, that's um, exactly what came to my mind. Someone who who is saying a lot of things that are clearly wrong, but also a lot of things that small percentages of the, uh, percentages of the population want to hear. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost seeking the vulnerable and then pulling them in 
under that umbrella and then making it insulated, just like putting up the bubble wrap around it. Um, but in a lot of ways too, like those, you should be skeptical of those types of people, right? Like what are their motivations? Um, I've become increasingly skeptical of a lot of people in the fitness space too. Whenever I see someone just kind of pop out of nowhere, saying things that are controversial or, you know, maybe a little bit dogmatic, like, all right, what, where is their stance here? Like, where, where are they coming from with this? Like, why are they saying these things? Even if they're right, why are they saying it so vehemently? Why are they saying it as if it's an absolute rather than a conversation, like what you said? Um, but like, do you, do you kind of see that same thing in yourself? Yeah, I, I, I see that for, for sure. I think that the, and, and one of the things that, that does bother me is that people are afraid to have conversation because they don't want to get dunked on as we were talking about. Like they're afraid to come into the comments and ask a question because they're afraid that someone's going to be like, you idiot, this is what the answer is. And it's like, I wish that I could, I, I, maybe I should put a disclaimer every time of like anyone who tries to dunk on anyone in the comments, I'm just going to block everyone. Like that's just how this is going to go because I feel like people will come to my DMs. They'll, they'll send me my own post with a question to what that thing is with, I, I know to the core, they didn't want to ask the question because they didn't want to get dunked on. Yeah. And it's like, dude, like that's what the comment section is for. And you should be able to ask that question and feel comfortable with that, whether it's me answering or someone randomly coming by and, you know, responding to your comment as well. And so, um, yeah, I, I definitely see that more commonly. And again, this is one of those things from a, 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 a short form content perspective that drives this narrative even more because you're able to create so much emotion in a 15, 30 second clip that is speaking in absolute nature. And so then people are very bought in right in that moment. And I, there's, it's interesting because oftentimes there is going to be that sliver of, of truth to it, but there, the, the fallacy is kind of in the absolute nature of what's being said. Like it started with some truth and then it just kind of veered off to whatever the narrative that was being pushed by the individual. And so, yeah, I, I see that. And I, I think that the the one thing that I always try to um, drive home for myself is that I have been able to, and you have as well, as building a business and staying true to myself. And, and although that there's been moments of adversity and in that time of adversity, I know that I would be lying to myself if I wasn't like, I need to shift my, shift my way and, and be more absolute. I need to be more, um, controversial or what have you. This will, this will generate audience or what it, whatever it is. And I, I, I just continue to come back to like, this is, this is who I want to be. This is who I want to be, uh, shown as to other people and, and those different factors. And this is what's important. And just staying true to that gets more challenging at different times than others. But I know that in the long run, I'm going to be much more proud that I built it this way than going the other route and being controversial, probably getting a spike in, in popularity or what have you in a, in a short stint, but that's just acute. And that's not going to be the long haul. Liver King is a fantastic example of that where he, I mean, skyrocketed to, to, to stardom to probably a place now where he's probably still doing okay, but certainly not to the level that he was when he was at the, the peak, if you will. Yeah. And I, I honestly agree with you on a lot of things. So just to, to not have to continue to say, I agree with you. <laughs> uh, I think that that is a, a pretty good place for us to like wrap up this, yeah. this episode. Um, you know, I obviously really appreciate you doing this. I appreciate the conversation because as much as we do agree on things, there are certain things that we do disagree on. And I would love to, to be able to have conversations with you, especially on those things in the future. Um, 
And like I said, you know, like you're someone who I've always really respected in the fitness industry. And it's exactly because I know that if I were to have a question, I could come to you and you wouldn't be like, that guy's a fucking idiot. Like, I don't know why I've ever listened to anything that he's ever said. No one should ever, um, you know, I like, that's something where it, I think that the collaborative nature of coaches has been fractured for such a long time. Um, and no one is willing to like admit that they don't know something. So it's much easier to just pretend like, you know, everything, even if you are unsure or you might be wrong. Um, but no, man, I, I, again, really appreciate you doing this. So where can people find you? Of course. Thank you for having me on. It was fantastic. We'll have to have you on our podcast, probably come back on here and continue the conversation for hours upon hours. Um, to find me, you can find me on Instagram at Alex Bush underscore underscore. The individual who has just Alex Bush is a dickhead and will not sell me that Instagram tag whatsoever. And I have asked so many times. I should probably take a screenshot of how many times I've asked this dude uh, to buy that hash or to buy that uh tag but whatever um you can find me on youtube at uh at physique development you can find our website physiquedevelopment.com and then we have our own podcast physique development podcast so just type in physique development on google and you're going to have a list of stuff you can find me at that's probably the easiest way Dude, that's beautiful um i've never actually tried to, to buy uh at Bryce Calvin, but uh, now that you say something, don't think I'm going to figure out the fuck has that handle. Uh, all right, dude. Again, thank you so much, but I'm going to let you go. Um, we will definitely have to do this again. Absolutely. Thank you.